0: Welcome to Fireside Breakdowns, I'm Robin and I'm John. Together, we research and break down complex and even controversial topics facing our society. We always aim to bring you honest analysis backed by research, to skew our bias toward what can be factually supported, and to make it clear when we're giving our opinion versus speaking about actual research. We're human, we have blind spots and biases, and they will show through. However, our goal isn't to convince you to see things our way. We want to build a foundational understanding of these complicated topics so that we can address them together.
1: We talk about some pretty heavy stuff on this show, and we tackle topics that might feel polarizing. But we do that because we have an important goal in mind. We want to change the way people have hard conversations. And we think we can do that using research and discussion to create common understanding. And since you're here, we hope you want the same thing so we suggest getting comfortable and maybe having a good drink on hand as we work through this stuff. Welcome to our fireside.
0: Okay, so if you are listening to this episode, then obviously you saw the title and you saw that it's about Thanksgiving. So why are we talking about this and not Cal Rittenhouse this week? The answer to that is pretty simple. We've dedicated one month out of the entire year to talk about Native history and culture. These stories could be told whenever, sure, but we set out at the beginning of this month with an intent. And we want to stay focused on this intent because that's really important to us. If you want to get a little bit more philosophical about it in ways that are both literal and metaphorical, The First Nations people have repeatedly been swept aside by the actions of white men. So the very least that we can do is not add to the countless examples and stick to our promise to continue to cover Indigenous issues during Native American Heritage Month.
1: We also, we haven't decided just yet how we're going to address the Rittenhouse case. We need some time. And distance to cover that particular story the way we usually would we're not sure we could add anything to well anything meaningful to the conversation just yet there's just too much out there and it's one of those topics where you can bet Robin and I are going to get deep into the legal and ethical weeds for a while as we work through it I mean, and if you're desperate for conversation about it, you can find it just about anywhere right now. So, the need, quote unquote, for us to address it right now, we just don't necessarily think it's there. Um, We're pretty confident, actually, that a lot of people would like to talk about (laughs) anything else right now, precisely because it's impossible to avoid discussing that case anywhere for the time being. So, for now, uh, we're sticking to our promise for this week and next week's episodes, and we will be covering topics. That we feel are more directly relevant to the First Nations. Um, That said, we do, if it wasn't clear, we do intend on covering the Written House decision and that case at some point. Um, It's just we don't, we definitely don't want to rush that. We
0: we don't have to do it now. This will be there'll be plenty to talk about, and maybe even more to talk about in the days to come. So we're gonna talk about Thanksgiving or. A term that I heard while I was doing research for this episode, Truthsgiving. Yeah, Truthsgiving. so Truthsgiving. it's like this
1: happy alternate
0: concept that really started among uh, Native American activist groups and um, scholars to essentially fill the holiday that we celebrate as Thanksgiving with the truth about interactions between. Native Americans and settlers in this country and and how that has gone. And it's not intended to replace the holiday, so to speak, but it's more an emphasis Mm. on making sure that we're telling the right stories.
1: So um, isn't this, like? don't, (laughs) hmm. don't you feel like this conversation about Thanksgiving and trying to tell the true story about it, is maybe detrimental to the uh, to the nation as a whole right now because like aren't we talking about something that is so far in the past it might as well not even matter and and we uh we're in a divisive time already so why why do you think it's important to prioritize this now when it could just be like fanning the flames of division you know
0: i think that there's like there's never a good time and there's always the right time to tell the truth the truth is very often incredibly inconvenient and if we are not intentional about understanding knowing and sharing the truth at all times then we run the risk of ending up in a society that idealizes things that never actually existed
1: yeah Way to knock that softball out of the park, Robin. You're welcome. Uh, <laughs> so we'll be, at certain points in this episode, we'll probably be pay- playing devil's advocate back and forth. Um, I just wanted to get one in because I don't know how many I get. i <laughs> um, Okay, cool. Yeah, it's, I've kind of heard this expression of, of frustration from certain people, like, oh, what does it matter what does it matter if um, Thanksgiving didn't happen exactly the way it did, you know, it, or the way we learned, you know, it's, it's ancient history, mm-hmm. ancient yeah. pro tip it's about America. Nothing here is ancient. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If we're talking about the United States anyway. Um. Yeah, it's, it, we'll, we'll walk through it. Obviously that's kind of, what we do here, but it does matter. It matters a great, great stinking deal. Um, so I, this was a fun one for me to write in Mm -hmm. a weird sort of way. We didn't, this is our, our off week, if you will, the less research heavy one, although I have way more, (laughs) uh, scholarly like journals and books referenced in this one than in several of my last ones, which is how it goes, I guess. Um, but this one touches on a lot of topics that are broad, broadly applicable across not just the relationship between uh, European settlers and the native populations in what is now the United States, but just people and <laughs> the the colonizers and yeah. the colonized around the world. No matter who is occupying, you know which particular group. This has a lot of important lessons, mm-hmm. I suppose, for all of them. So and this one was this one was good. It was fun, and I really enjoy it. So let's let's talk about for a little bit the story that we all know and love. Uh, you know what we all kind of learned, and by we I mean me, right? Uh, me too. People like me, most most uh, American elementary school age kids, the story that they learned. Um, and this is from memory. Obviously I didn't go back to elementary school and relearn. So whatever. Uh, but I do want to talk about it. So yes, we are going to reiterate the story. Yes. We know that you probably know the story or this version of it. We all know the story. Um, but it's good for context and highlighting what we've been taught, what we remember before we talk about the more nuanced truth as we are able to decode it, will hopefully serve as a benchmark for the greater conversation that we're having this month, the overriding of the history and stories of America's native people with sanitized and simple aphorisms. Every November, right, teachers around the country break out vocabulary sheets to teach us all about words like cornucopia and... Harvest and Pilgrim, while children cut out black construction paper hats and attach construction paper buckles to construction paper shoes, refrigerators across the United States find themselves festooned by flocks of mutant five-finger turkeys. It's time for the best meal of the whole year, right. Thanksgiving. And there will
0: always be at least one school play that tells the story of the first Thanksgiving, Young kids will dress in black, puritanical outfits, and then they will meet with young children who are dressed in buckskins and headdresses, hopefully not anymore. And they'll talk about the bravery of the pilgrims who braved the wide Atlantic, landing at Plymouth Rock after an arduous voyage. The noble and friendly natives will welcome them and share the secrets of farming the land, and then they'll all settle into a massive feast complete with turkeys and at least a single cornucopia overflowing with fruits and corn and squash. The feast will be incredible, and thanks will be given to the Creator for protecting the pilgrims and providing for them. And then the proud and friendly Indians will leave peacefully, turning the land over to the pilgrims to make their new home and build the grand American dream of a Christian democratic country where all are treated with equality and fairness and safe from the tyrannical hand of an oppressive monarchy.
1: And then everybody clapped. Yeah, so uh I wrote that maybe my memories of those lessons is a little a little bit more jaded than the lessons actually were, but the 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 gist of it stands, right? So disclaimer as Robin alluded to, um that might not be exactly how it's taught anymore or the way the plays are done anymore. I haven't been to elementary school in at least Fingers a few crossed. years and right. uh Yeah. One would hope. I guarantee that there are parts of the country where that still happens. And in fact, didn't a teacher out in I think California somewhere get in really hot water earlier this month for basically like doing a – A a tribal dance of some sort, but it was really mocking and... Yeah, and it was
0: not even in the context of trying to teach history. I feel like it was in the context of trying to teach math. Mm -hmm. Oof. Yeah. Not
1: a good look. That's atrocious. Okay. Anyway. um, So, hopefully... The actual teachings today um, have undergone some revision, fingers crossed, uh, and maybe the the headdresses aren't quite as prevalent as they once were. I've lived in this world for the past two years, so I kind of am not going to hold my breath that that is across the whole nation. Um, Unfortunately, and realistically, the effects of a more accurate discussion um, that I have seen some evidence of happening with children around the first Thanksgiving, trademark, copyright, registered, patent pending, uh, won't be reflected in the overall national conversation for many years. Um, the fact of the matter is, I wouldn't feel I wouldn't feel like I'm going too far out on a limb here if I say this, but the idea of this this peaceful celebration shared between the Pilgrims and generic unnamed Indian tribe. Uh, was the prevailing story that today's adults, AKA the people driving policy and national discussion, um, that was what they learned when they yeah. were in school. And
0: and that's a problem. It sells a comfortable and cozy fantasy about the meeting of two incredibly different cultures that serves as the foundation that most people use to form their understanding of relationships between colonials and the indigenous people of the land. It helps enable all of us who are descendants of immigrants to ignore that very uncomfortable fact in all of the stories of, and really significant debts that we owe to, the First Nations people from whatever land that our family settled. So if you haven't heard the actual events surrounding what became known as the First Thanksgiving, stick around. We, we got some splaining to do.
1: we touched on it a little bit earlier, like why we need to reconsider how we talk about Thanksgiving and largely it boils down to, so we stop ignoring the problems that our right. ancestors cost. Yeah. That's what it, that's what it boils down to. Um, if the traditional story of Thanksgiving is one of friendship and cooperation uh, where the native Americans and the European settlers help each other make it through hard times why are we so eager to push it aside for a darker truth? Like, why why as a society should we want to focus on the ugly parts of our history? Why would we want to take away the opportunity to teach a good lesson about uh, acceptance and about camaraderie and about working together um, to discuss something less good? (laughs) It's a question or a line of questioning that we often hear from (laughs) white people. (laughs) Um, I say that as a white people. um, And just let it be clear. When we say something like white people ask this a lot. It's not because we are inherently against white people or that. I hate myself for being white or that we feel white people should hate themselves for being white or anything like that. Um, Bringing it up only serves as a signal, right? We're just signaling that the stories and the viewpoints that are taught are often taught from this European, this settler, this pilgrim, perspective. They're the ones we have the most records from. They're the ones that ultimately ended up setting up the government that we are under, all of that. So whenever the history, whenever those narratives are challenged, the people who directly relate, benefit from them, descended from them, who didn't have to go through, say, the slave route to America, or didn't have to be um, forced out of their uh, ancestral lands by pilgrims like it feels weird because I mean I remember learning about manifest destiny as a mm-hmm. positive thing right and it was it was God's will that we take over the country from coast to coast <laughs> so yeah yeah <laughs> really really weird to hear somebody saying that hey maybe pump those brakes a little bit and it doesn't it mix the dander come up um, and at the heart of the question, at least in, in my experience, uh, is a really human desire. If we're going to be honest here, which we always strive to do, um, we have to admit that none of us really wants to be blamed for something that we didn't do.
0: Yeah, that's, that's really normal and natural. Um, but I think it comes down to the fact that there's this collective perception that talking about the harm that white colonizers and slavers caused equals laying the blame for those actions on modern day Americans. That acknowledging it or even apologizing for it somehow transfers the transgression from them to us. And that's that's not the case. Um, I, I know that it probably can feel that way, but really what we're talking about is being willing to recognize and admit that these wrongs occurred. And when it comes to how this country has handled its First Nations people, that recognition is sorely lacking.
1: By choosing to repeat the sanguine version of the story, we are again ignoring the harms caused to Native American people and asking them to push aside the generational trauma, the detriments to their physical and emotional health, and the destitution caused by the actions of European colonization. And yes, there were moments between the First Nations tribes and the English and eventually the French that were peaceful. Um, There were probably several interactions between individuals that could even be considered friendly. But those select moments don't invalidate hundreds of years of brutal fighting, the ravages of disease, slavery, displacement, uh, betrayal.
0: All of it. And using the image of a shared dinner to introduce the concept of colonialism, it conjures up a picture of an arrangement under which everyone brings something to the table, and the relationship is centered on a fair concept of give and take. You share something of yourself, and I'll share something of myself. But at this point, I think that most people understand that a trusting balance like that absolutely did not exist. All parties were not invited to share in the bounty of the land equally, even though there was more than enough to go around. Continuing to tell this fantastical origin story of Thanksgiving is, in essence, like saying to a Native person, See, it wasn't really that bad. Relationships between the colonizers and the Native Americans were all so good and friendly. You're overreacting. It minimizes their lived experience and it negates the history that their people have lived with and passed down for generations. It again asks them to push aside their own pains so that the European experience can take center stage. And it also serves to legitimize the actions of the colonists by painting the Native Americans in attendance as complicit to the process by which their land and their culture was taken from them. It's like, oh, they were there. They welcomed the settlers. They offered to share. When in reality, what was actually shared was no one's to own in the first place. One of the myths that I always heard growing up was that Native Americans, general blanket noun there, had no concept of property ownership. So they were happy to share it with the settlers until they weren't. That's kind of where you get that phrase Indian giver from. Oh, I'll share until I want to take it back. And that's horrible. But that's that's the perception that we were given growing up. But researcher David Silverman explained it very differently in one of the articles that I found. He pointed out that while the Wampanoag, who were the first Native Americans to encounter at least the settlers who showed up at Plymouth Rock, um, while they didn't have a system of personal property ownership, they very much understood community ownership of land And they had a very clear picture of where their land started and stopped and where other people started and stopped. So when the Europeans offered them money to occupy the land, he said, they perceived that the settlers were buying into their property. Like you would purchase a plot of land for a home within a city, not taking sole possession of the land. And so when we tell the story as though the Native Americans gladly gave their lands over to the control of the colonists and then finally tried to take them back it only further complicates our ability to acknowledge that those native people were grossly taken advantage of.
1: And a related note, you've probably heard the term colonizer yes. uh, thrown around kind of as an insult, kind of as a shutdown. Um, in in Marvel's 2018 mm-hmm. hit, Black Panther, I feel like I have to introduce it like that, even though if I said Black Panther, everybody <laughs> would know what I was talking about. But we're we're a media mm-hmm. now, so we have to like... I feel like that's the proper form to say things in Marvel's 2018 hit yes. Black Panther. Um, it, they use that word colonizer to refer to one of the characters um, in the, in the film. And it was like a line that uh, it received both laughed and uh, laughs and laughter and <laughs> criticism, depending on who you are. And I'll let you fill in the, who was critical of that right. line. I will that say that it was it. like, um, it was a, a, a
0: very, consternating moment in the theater when I went to see that with my husband. Cause I, yeah. I cackled out loud. It caught me by surprise. And he was like deeply hurt.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I get it. I, I, we'll get to that in a second, but in the, in the real world, right. I've mostly seen that term colonizer, uh, used to refer to white folks when they give unwanted advice uh, or opinions on topics or matters that, that don't mm-hmm. involve them that are racially charged, but they still feel the need to voice their, their opinion on the matter. Um, which a lot of that goes back to a lot of people just like to be problem solvers and like yeah. to solve problems. And it's really a weird thing to be called a colonizer, at least to me and probably, probably James, um, especially when you've never personally (laughs) colonized anything or you don't feel you have, right? Um, Just like, you know, you've never owned slaves. It'd be like being called a slaver and it's weird. Um, It can feel completely disconnected from reality to be shut down for being a colonizer. And that is doubly so if you're actually Mm -hmm. genuinely trying to be helpful in a situation to problem solve.
0: I mean, after all, didn't colonization make the world better ultimately? Didn't it spread industrialization and medicine and civilization? Hasn't colonization advanced women's rights in some parts of the world? It's reduced food insecurity, developed infrastructure, increased life expectancy, spread concepts like philosophy, mathematics, science, democracy. At its core, isn't colonization responsible for the advancement of society as a whole? After all, through colonization, unity has been brought to previously warring nations and lands, With unification has come the ability and the strength to stand together against outside forces. Through education and literacy, knowledge has spread throughout previously unenlightened peoples, allowing them to pull themselves out of the jungles of ignorance and join the rest of the world. I mean, sure, colonialism has caused some suffering and strife, but as a whole, it has been a net positive. It doesn't really even feel like that's a very difficult argument to make.
1: I know I have no trouble at all understanding all of those arguments and agreeing with them to some extent. And that's how I know I'm a colonizer. <laughs> that is, that's how you know you're 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 a colonizer. Because though all of that stuff is subjectively true, right? Mm-hmm. Relatively, there there's a lot more nuance to the conversation about the spread of knowledge and math and science in particular. I mean, like while we in the West use Arabic numerals, um, and here's a parenthetical within a parenthetical, uh, our Arabic numerals are in turn Hindu numerals. The Arabs got them from the Indian mathematicians who in turn turned them over to the, or passed them on, didn't turn them over, passed them on to the Europeans. So there you go. That's a thing, you know. <laughs> um, we use Arabic numerals because the of the, the Hindu-Arabic contributions to mathematics and how... They were so compelling and so great, right? That, that the Europeans kind of just absorbed them and learned it from the Arabs, and that was way back in like the eighties, nine hundred and eighties, nine hundred and seventies, somewhere way back then. Um, and we didn't like we didn't bring them math, right? We they developed it on their own. They had their own system and better numbering systems that allowed us to advance our mm-hmm. mathematical knowledge but I digress, which I'm sure shocks everybody. Anyway, even though we could make a decent argument from a certain perspective that all of those quote unquote good qualities of colonialism make the practice a net benefit to the world, it completely ignores the other side of the equation.
0: And that other side is pretty ugly. Colonization isn't a peaceful process. Most of the time, colonization happens at the expense of the colonized. It isn't, here's some cool advancements and improvements to your lives, we hope you'll use them. It's, you're going to live like this now, or you're going to die. Those are the only terms. Imagine if China or Iran or North Korea just rocked up to Washington, D.C. one day with advanced technology out of nowhere and said, hey, you belong to us now we got some really cool science that we're going to share with you, but your way of life, your culture, and, well, 90% of your population are going to disappear. You're welcome.
1: Yeah. That'd go over pretty smoothly. I think that would go totally, over pretty well, right? right? Like, Biden would just, like, sign the papers and we'd yeah. be cool stop <laughs> stop hold on i accidentally stepped in something there and i want to address it some of you are out here thinking something along the lines of well biden would because china owns him <laughs> stop let it rest <laughs> that conspiracy is old and tired and nobody likes its tricks anymore let it retire yeah overall the image is ridiculous right there's no way no no way the U.S. as a whole would be okay with that. Even if the advancements brought by such a takeover would be considerable, the loss of our self-determination would be too bitter a pill right. to swallow. I,
0: just just to make it clear, do it. we want to insert in here that we... We really dislike using another country as a boogeyman and we have absolutely nothing against the people of China or Iran or North Korea. We needed an example of cultures that most Americans can identify as being very different from our own without resorting to saying like aliens or something.
1: Right. The reason we bring up this example, these examples, using those particular countries is because we think it conjures a very specific easily imagined scenario that would cause everyone listening to have a visceral reaction. It is unacceptable. And that's the point. Historically, colonization has involved subjecting innocent populations to atrocities like murder and torture and exploitation. Of course, these wrongs are not unique to colonization. They occur with or without it. But they are inherent to colonization as well. So they should not be ignored. But more importantly, I would argue, what is unique about colonization is the fact that it robs entire nations of their ability to set the course for their population. It, it removes the, the thrust of a people, right? The arc that they were trying to establish for themselves for their own good as they saw it and it replaces it with the will of outsiders who do not know or respect their values their morals because uncolonized countries are kind of viewed as being absent Mm -hmm. morals But that's not true. Uncolonized countries are not without morals. They're not without rules. They're not without laws. They have culture and art and an entire unique way of life that they have chosen and made for themselves. Colonization ultimately means that they are subjecting their entire civilization to the judgment of people who know know nothing about them. Colonization robs them of everything that makes them unique. And so
0: at Thanksgiving, especially, we owe to our First Nations friends the opportunity to acknowledge the pain on which this country was built, the civilization that had to suffer so that ours could grow. We must take the time to understand the wrongs that were truly done and to shed the idealistic perceptions that we have of the first interactions between colonizers and Native Americans. That is the only way that we as a country can begin to work toward a future that accounts for and corrects the harms that were caused from those first days forward.
1: I think there is, is a lot of people want to resist the idea that colonization is inherently not good um, because there are moments throughout history where an outside force came in. And like we said, they, they brought better medical practice. They really demonstrably improved the lives of the people on the ground. And I don't think that you can use a, an exception like that to prove the rule and I also don't think, or rather an exception to, to say that that is the rule, right? And I, and I don't think that anybody, just to reiterate this, anybody would want to lose their people to gain 10 years mm-hmm. of life, <laughs> to lose your entire nation. You know, would we sacrifice the United States if, we, if it meant we could cure cancer? And I don't think we would. I really don't think we would. I think that would be and I, I honestly can't like my instincts like, well maybe maybe that would be the right thing to do because what is the culture of the United States versus the uncounted lives of the people who are going to die right. from cancer, right? But we right. don't know. <laughs> we don't know what losing our culture would do to the world. We don't know that it wouldn't lead to something yeah. worse.
0: And and the crux of that is that it's not it's not anybody else's decision to make, right? So if the United States was faced with that dilemma, it should then be our decision as a collective to make. But colonization takes that decision-making process out of the hands of the indigenous people.
1: And we can't argue, in good faith, we really cannot argue that any population was better off with colonization because we don't know what would have happened yeah. to them without it. Would some have ceased to exist? Maybe. But we'll never be able to right. prove it because. Well, it and that,
0: that actually raises a really important point because um, I got in a Facebook fight over Indigenous Peoples Day. I didn't mean to, well, I'm trying to. But somebody had made the comment, essentially, that yes, what happened to the First Nations people in America was terrible and bad, but at least now they have X. They have the opportunity to know Christianity. And this was a, a particularly evangelical Christian perspective. Um, and they have yeah. they have all of the blessings that come with living in modern day America. And yes, that was bad, but also now they have this good. And what really struck me was the overall supremacy of that perspective. The idea that what your group or your culture or your religion carries is so important and so much better than what other people have that it justifies the atrocities that are committed in order to get people to comply with your thing.
1: Right. It's the same sort of logic that caused things like right. the Crusades, that the spread of, of religion um, and, and culture is more important than mm-hmm. anything else. And there's a whole other nuanced conversation to be had about the Crusades and who aggressed who mm-hmm. and who was doing what and what actually started it. But let's not get into it. Let's just acknowledge that a large component of it was a holy war, And it was perpetrated by a lot of people who believed that their way was the right and only way. Um, But the viewpoint of defending colonialism and colonization as a good thing presupposes that everything that colonization brings is also automatically and inherently good. And we don't know that. Now we have some pretty solid evidence that a lot of it is good, Right, that infrastructure is good, that medical practice is good, that science and math and the advancements are good. But we don't know that our... We, we don't... I need, I need people to listen very carefully to what I'm saying here, right? We don't know that our religious practices <laughs> are better. We don't. And if that offends you, you need to remember, Christians that the whole purpose of the faith is that it is faith. It is not knowing, it is believing. And therefore, because we cannot know, we must believe. And because we can only believe, we cannot prove, we don't know that our religious practices are, in fact, superior to the ones that we eliminated and eradicated. Now, once we all die, we'll figure it out. And we can very strongly believe that we have the right way. I keep saying we because I grew up in a Southern Baptist church even though I don't really follow the faith anymore. Um, But we don't know. And that's all I'm saying. So put down the Bibles. You don't have to thump me with them. I got it. Point being, all of the arguments that are saying that colonization is good have to prove something that is impossible to prove because we don't know the alternative right you you cannot prove something in the affirmative you can only prove something wrong and we
0: we can't know we just can't know
1: so that particularly weighty conversation that we will probably have in a completely different Mm -hmm. episode at some point in time as we try to cover colonization because i think it'd be great (sighs) aside Let's get to the real story of this, the real purpose of this recording, right? And the actual story of the first Thanksgiving. Um, And I'm not trademarking this one because it's a less commercialized version, shall we say. So while the elementary school version, elementary, I'm going to hit every syllable in that word. While the elementary school version of the first Thanksgiving involves humble pilgrims, fresh from the Mayflower, making contact with unidentified native tribes. History tells us that the Mayflower was one of many European entourages to make its way to the eastern coast of what would become America. Um, The nation that they encountered on their arrival was... Ooh, I heard you say it. I looked it up. My brain's forgotten it. What is it? Wampanoag? Wampanoag. Okay. Okay. Forgive me for not knowing that mm-hmm. one right off the cuff. This is my actual first time encountering this particular tribe because they didn't teach me about it in school. <laughs> <clears throat> the nation they encountered on their arrival was the Wampanoag. Oh, hey, there's a pronunciation like right there. that I, I, just I wasn't going to say anything.
0: I was going to let you get to it.
1: Yeah, I'll call myself That's out good. on that. I didn't do my homework. I, I did didn't, not understand did the not, assignment.
0: I did not give it to you with some later ones, so...
1: Okay, well, I'll stumble over those two. Third take, third tries the charm. The nation they encountered on their arrival was the Wampanoag people, who had already had a century of contact with Europeans under their belts by that time. At least two Wampanoags, and and maybe more, probably more, spoke English and had been to Europe and back by the time the Mayflower showed up. One historian tells us that they knew the organizers of the mayflower <laughs> expedition so it wasn't like some surprise it wasn't pocahontas with white clouds you know right like, that's not i don't, I don't even know all. what
0: the image i have in my head comes from whether it was like a story or just how i imagined it when i was younger but like it's not these two groups of people meeting each other across a shore and like doing the slow circle because they've never seen anybody who looked like that before Like, I'm sure at one point it was like that, but not when the Mayflower came to America in 1620.
1: Yeah. You want to know something ridiculous for the longest time because of how this was taught. I actually thought that it was like Columbus discovered America and then the Mayflower was like right behind them. And then Columbus was at the first Thanksgiving. Like, that's 100% how my young brain was envisioning this. I don't even know how long Mm -hmm. I believed that. It's just like I don't remember when I unlearned that, but I distinctly remember thinking that like, oh, yeah, Columbus landed at Plymouth Rock. Mm. Nope. Nope. Hey, if you believe that, we have an episode on Columbus. You should check that out. So no No, shame here. (laughs) Obviously, we don't know anything all the time either. So we're learning. If you believe that, I'm not judging. We
0: are learning just like you guys are. Yeah, it, I mean, it is true that the Wampanoag leader, uh, Osama Quinn reached out to the English at Plymouth to make an alliance with them, but the intention was more strategic than it was friendly. His people had been decimated by an epidemic disease, and he saw an alliance with the English as an opportunity to fend off rivals from outside of his tribe and rebels from within his tribe. And we also rarely hear about how quickly this relationship, well, it fell apart. Right. We get this idea that that, oh, they made an alliance and everything was great until, you know, for for a long time, until it wasn't. It actually fell apart really quickly, like within 10 years quickly. And that led to one of the most horrific wars on record in the United States between the colonists and the First Nations people. And it was called the uh, King Philip's War.
1: Of course, it was called King Philip's War. Was it? It, mm, uh, no, it actually, else.
0: I I don't. <laughs> I, you just keep going. It makes sense.
1: All right. I well, no, I'm sure it does. I'm just saying I want to call it something else. Um, so history gives us the first glimpse of war between the settlers and the First Nations people in the mid 1630s as colonists made and ignored land agreements with the local Native Americans. Everybody is shocked because this has never happened before and will never happen again. Of course. By the 1660s, their continued encroachment on native land. Man, I feel like we keep writing the same I know. It should, just change the
0: first two stuff. digits of the number. 16, 17, yeah, 18, it just, 18. It really doesn't matter.
1: Right? So by the 1660s, their continued encroachment on native land had driven many tribes to the point of violence, understandably. Metatron, <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no. That's the voice of God. That's not right. No. Metacom, or Philip, as he would come to be known, was the second son of a Wampanoag chief who had made one such arrangement with the Europeans. After his father's death, Metacom's older brother, Wamsuda, was named successor as chief but as, but was soon arrested by the English on suspicion that he was plotting an uprising. Crazy. Wamsutta died while he was being questioned by the English, which is a really uh, flowery way to say Wamsutta was tortured to death right. by the English, leaving Medicom right. to assume his role.
0: Uh, so yeah, tensions between the Wampanoag people and the settlers continued to build throughout the 1660s and the early 1670s peaking when three Wampanoag men were found guilty of murdering a white man and hanged. And before you decide to snark, the the jury was actually um, made up of both white people and a few Native
1: Americans. How did you know I was going to snark, Robin? It's like you could could see see the future, an an alternate alternate timeline of events or something. Uh,
0: Which really, it just goes to show how little we understand about how ingratiated the two groups of people were in very strange ways um you know
1: yeah
0: i think the movie the last of the mohicans points out that especially on the east coast of the united states there were many tribes that chose to ally with the europeans and that also caused consternation between the tribes that didn't choose to ally with the europeans and those that did and and yeah. so
1: wait wait hold on robin are you saying that the the native tribes of this land were varied in their opinions and ideas And that they didn't all behave and act as a monolithic culture. I do believe I may be saying that. Wow. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Everybody knows that all the Native Americans were exactly the same because that's what they taught us. Duh. Duh. Gasp. Duh. Yeah. Hey, just real quick. Anytime anybody says the Native Americans and they're speaking Mm -hmm. about all of them together, um, they're probably wrong. I mean –
0: goes for any people group right like you can't just say it does. black people yeah. or white people that's why we try to give what? so many caveats when we talk about the fact that we get these questions most often from white people from people whose skin is white not from white as a collective right um, yeah yeah so that that particular trial caused uh, a lot of disruption and basically instigated this whole conflict In 1675 and 1676, a series of attack by the Wampanoag and other allied groups led by uh, Medicom, or uh, the name that he took on at that point was Philip. It was not uncommon for Native Americans to take on English names as well as part of this this process. Um, He had taken on the name Philip. And so uh, the Wampanoag led by him and other allied groups, they just, they attacked a lot. During those couple of years, and that of course drew rebuttals from the settlers, and these battles raged throughout southern New England. The battles were gruesome and ambushes by Native confederations took out entire groups of colonists. There was extreme violence on both sides, and then
1: seriously, did we just did we just rip like half of the script from our discussion about the establishment of national parks? And just paste it here because I swear right. that we've told this story before. It's, it's crazy. crazy. No,
0: didn't we just take it from the last episode that we did about Standing
1: Rock? You're right. This is this is the Standing Rock, Rock episode and we just right. changed the dates. It's like, because there's surely no way that this has happened over and over and over and over throughout history. I'm really driving right. this point home in case people weren't picking up on it because um, it matters. It, yeah,
0: like that, that's the whole point of all of this is that this is the same thing we've been seeing over and over and over for almost 500 years. This will be the 500th anniversary of that one dinner in 1621. It's just, it's a cycle. History, at least in this case, is a cycle. So during the winter of 1676, the Native Americans attacked Plymouth Plantation, and they forced most of its citizens all the way to the coast. One group, led by Narragansett Chief Kanonchit, completely annihilated what was then the settlement at Providence, Rhode Island. In an attack known as the Nine Men's Misery Incident, Narragansett Indians ambushed around 60 colonists and 20 Christian Wampanoag Indians. They killed almost all the colonists, but nine men at that at that place were captured and then gruesomely tortured to death.
1: Yeah, and that name's right on the right on the nose there, isn't it? Um, in April, Chief Kanachet was captured, handed over to the Mohegans who allied with the English and shot, beheaded and quartered leaving the Narragansett without a leader. In May, the English militia attacked and killed up to 200 Narragansett at the Battle of Turner Falls at Pecumscut near Connecticut River. By midsummer, the English had started giving amnesty to some natives, and many surrendered and were sold into slavery. By late summer, King Philip and his allies were weakened and on the run, English Indian sol- soldier. Wow, mm-hmm. that's a hard phrase to say, and I don't know why. English Indian soldier John Alderman shot and killed Philip on August 20th, 1676, in his hometown of Mount Hope, Rhode Island. Philip was then hung, beheaded, drawn, and quartered because... When death is not enough. I guess. I was going to make a joke about zombies, but it just feels yeah, out of place here. Yeah. I just, like... You don't kill, they weren't, it was less about killing somebody and more about desecrating them, more about like, more about killing the ideas that they represented. That's why you, that's why you practice overkill on that level, um, because they are a symbol of more than just Mm -hmm. their lives, um, his head was placed on a spike and displayed at Plymouth Colony for 20 years.
0: Okay, A, gross. Jesus. But also, like, that just conveys the depth of anger and violence that really epitomize, from, from this point on, these interactions. King Philip's War is considered the bloodiest war per capita in all of U.S. history. It left several hundred colonists dead and dozens of English settlements destroyed or heavily damaged. Thousands of Native Americans were killed, wounded, or captured, and sold into slavery or indentured servitude. The war decimated the Narragansett and the Wampanoag, and many smaller tribes— And mostly ended the Indian resistance in southern New England, which paved the way for additional English settlements and essentially gave southern New England uh, this kind of bragging rights as the rest of the country then engaged in these Indian wars, because uh, that was not a struggle that they were continuing to have. It's really interesting. We already did it. No big deal. Yeah, that that doesn't happen Mm -hmm. here. Yeah. Anyway
1: right anymore little asterisk by that
0: one so yeah i mean a story of war torture dehumanization that's just the thing that we need to kick off the holiday season right
1: happy thanksgiving no this is
0: definitely not the story that we've all heard this is not what we tell around our tables every year so how on earth then did we get to a place where we all sit down with a big-ass turkey and eat ourselves into catatonia every november and why on earth do we associate native americans with that
1: well, it's because what we call the First Thanksgiving, the feast between the colonists and the Wampanoag people, was in 1621, so well before all of this violence. And it was, to them, just a harvest feast. They, these, these were common occurrences, not scheduled or observed with any regularity. It just sort of happened with the harvest. And it certainly wasn't a traditional Thanksgiving for the English, those had been observed for a long time, but they were considerably less fun because they involved fasting and a lot of prayer and right. no food. Yeah, I like this one better. Uh, a more traditional Thanksgiving was called in Plymouth in 1623 to celebrate the end of a, of a drought. <laughs> wow, my brain <laughs> could not say that word. I wanted oh. to say draft and I don't know why. Um, to celebrate the end of a drought, uh, but the Wampanoag were not invited to participate in that feast. Hmm. Oops, awkward. The next occurred in the summer of 1676, and it was proclaimed to celebrate the end of King Philip's War, which, as we all know, was fought in an effort to control native lands. So basically, it celebrated the fact that these lands had officially been taken over. Yeah, I think it's pretty obvious that the very few Native Americans left in New England after that <laughs> war were invited. They, they were not invited to, uh, to that particular yeah. celebration. would have been
0: real awkward. The first printed mention of a Thanksgiving-like event was published in Boston on September 25th, 1690. And the first story in that newspaper reads... The Christianized Indians in some parts of Plymouth have newly appointed a day of thanksgiving to God for his mercy in supplying their extreme and pinching necessities under their late want of corn. Their example may be worth mentioning. So in other words, these good Christian Indians have decided to have a day of thanksgiving because there was a drought and they didn't have any corn and then God gave them corn. Um... So the, I, that was the first, first idea that we have of Native peoples near Plymouth celebrating a Thanksgiving in print. And no surprise, of course, that it was used to make an example of those compliant Native Americans who saw the light of Christianity and then miraculously had their needs met. Propaganda.
1: Shocker. No, it wasn't propaganda. That's an invention of the communists in the 60s. A few official proclamations declaring national days of Thanksgiving were made in the years between 1777 and 1795, Uh, but starting in 1827, one woman took on the task of getting Thanksgiving proclaimed as a national holiday. Sarah Josepha Hale was an author who published a book called Northwood, which included the first introduction of Thanksgiving as a holiday. Later, as editor of an influential women's magazine called *Goodies Ladies Book, she used the editorials to extol the virtues of a Thanksgiving holiday, even suggesting recipes and menu plans. In 1847, Sarah wrote in one such editorial, the governor of New Hampshire has appointed Thursday, November 25th, as the day of annual Thanksgiving in that state. We hope every governor in the 29 states will appoint the same day, 25th of November, as the day of Thanksgiving. Then the whole land would rejoice at once.
0: Hale also began a letter-writing campaign to each president uh, while she was alive to encourage him to proclaim a national Thanksgiving holiday. Her work paid off in 1863 when Abraham Lincoln issued his Thanksgiving proclamation. Sarah continued her efforts, and each president after Lincoln also called for a national day of Thanksgiving. Um, For her uh, great commitment to this work, the Pilgrim Hall Museum has dubbed Sarah Josepha Hale as the godmother of Thanksgiving. But interestingly enough, she never mentioned pilgrims and Indians in her work. I know, right? So what on earth? So this conflation that we get comes from The Reverend Alexander Young, who in 1841 wrote an essay describing the discovery of a letter that was written by an attendee at that 1621 harvest feast, which is one of the last times that we ever see Native Americans in conjunction with this kind of situation. Um, And in that essay, he included a note that said, This was the first Thanksgiving, with capital T, the Great Festival of New England. And then poof, just like that, generations removed from the reality and the trauma of those early colonial years, we have a Thanksgiving fable that paints a picture of happy Native Americans and settlers coming together to share the gifts of the land. It's a giant game of telephone. Yeah,
1: it was uh, (laughs) I was just going to say it's just like Valentine's Day. (laughs) It was just pushed by a corporation or corporate America, in this case, Sarah Hale, uh, until it happened. I know that's probably a gross over... uh, Right. I'm sure she had
0: some reason for feeling like Thanksgiving was a big deal.
1: Yeah. So she could sell more copies of her book, Northwood. Or the magazine with all the, the recipes. Obviously. Exactly. Goodies ladies book. Exactly.
0: I mean, I feel like if um, I remember correctly from my research, it is Sarah that we have to thank for our reliance on turkey as our primary protein source for Thanksgiving. Yeah, it was mostly really? venison. There was some wild fowl, um, wild turkeys, because they're stupid, y'all. They're pretty easy to catch. Um, they so So dangerous. yeah, the early settlers and the Native Americans did eat wild turkeys and other wild fowl, but if you needed something that was going to feed a lot of people-
1: Venison was your go-to. I wish we still did that. Like, I mean, I don't have anything against turkey, but
0: yeah. it's kind of boring. It was a little it's boring. boring.
1: <laughs> like, I like turkey, but it's best on, like, an open-faced sandwich buried under mashed potatoes and gravy and all sorts mm-hmm. of okay. deliciousness like that. Um, now I'm getting real <laughs> hungry for Thanksgiving. <laughs> anyway that is clearly not what Thanksgiving is about. It's not about eating. And I guess our challenge to anybody listening to this this week is to, you know, keep your tradition. That's fine. Nobody's asking you to give that up. But remember that the stories that we've been told about it aren't aren't right. And instead of solely being a celebration of, of whatever good fortune that you have to give thanks for this year, perhaps it could be also a time of remembrance mm-hmm. and reflection and contemplation about what all of us can do moving forward to ensure that we don't we don't push people aside in pursuance of our our own, narrow definitions of, of destiny and accomplishment. Um, it would cost all of us absolutely zero dollars to start thinking about how we behave in society, um, a little more generously, a little less selfishly, um, and a little more, um, broadly, That's all that's that. I mean, that's my takeaway from all of this. Yeah. What do you you got? No, I mean, that's, that's
0: the gist of it, right? Like we have this opportunity now that we know the truth of what a Thanksgiving is, right? What was the original intent was to give thanks and, and be grateful in kind of a somber way. Um, We have that opportunity to almost reclaim the origin of Thanksgiving And to genuinely come to the table with gratitude for the things that we have and to celebrate the fact that we get to be with our loved ones, whether they be family by birth or by choice, um, and that we get to serve and love other people. And we have the freedom now to let go of this fantastical story about people in buckled hats and cornucopias. We can completely let go of that and move on to recognize the actual value of what a day of Thanksgiving should be.
1: If somebody wants to thank us for all of our hard work, how could they do that, Robin? Boom. Segway.
0: If they wanted to do that, (laughs) they could do that on our website, firesidebreakdowns.com. They could thank us by writing us a note from our contact page, it's really easy to find. They could thank us by clicking a little button in the top right-hand corner of our website that takes you to our Patreon, and you could support us actually financially. You could support um, our work by saying thank you with your actual dollars. If you,
1: you mean you mean like our new patron? Yes, Brittany our, our did? new
0: patron Brittany who makes absolutely stunning Native American beaded earrings. Yes. Brittany, we thank love you it. Thank you very much, it's Brittany. It's amazing. We really, really we are appreciate it. so honored and excited that you chose this month to choose to support us as you also are um, doing your own work and learning in this area. So thank you very much. Um, if somebody just wanted to learn more about our work, they could also do that on our website where we have all of our episodes. We have our show notes uh, and we have all kinds of fun things. If we write something just out of the blue that has nothing to do with the podcast, we also put that mm-hmm. on the website. So... We invite you to explore that a little bit. You can also find us on social media, Instagram, and Facebook, primarily. Um, our Twitter exists. <laughs> yeah, that's all that's we can, all say, we can about say about it. About this
1: it. Point. Doesn't? I think it pushes out a notification. It does. That we've got it does. Do so, if
0: you stuff. did want to find it there, yeah. you can. Um, but we are primarily on Instagram and Facebook, and every podcasting platform that you would ever choose to listen on. So, yep.
1: Trying to figure out how to do these newfangled reels and Ooh, tiktoks and stuff we are not on are tiktok, not on TikTok. Mm-mm, i'm too old Ain't for that anyway uh i think it's tradition to go out with some it good is, news it isn't ended, it Rob? this
0: week we have the best good news
1: it is the best good news you know why? why you know why it's the best good news and i think very appropriately good news for thanksgiving week um it's because it's yes. about our friend Chuck. Who we can officially call Chuck because yeah. he gave us permission, which makes my I heart swell in my car. a little bit. I'm I not gonna in lie. My car a yeah, yeah. So good old, uh, good old Chuck Charles Sam's the third actually did reach out to us after our episode where we talked about him and and gave us permission to use his use Chuck, um, so which cool. is super duper cool. Um, he was unanimously approved this week to be um, the National Park Service's 19th director. And that ends a nearly five-year lapse in leadership at the agency. The Senate confirmed Sam's uh, nomination by voice vote. Nope, nope, I'm gonna reread that because I get to use his name now. The Senate confirmed Chuck's nomination by voice vote on Thursday, to lead the agency charged with preserving America's national parks, monuments, and historic sites. And if you don't know, that's a, if you don't know how Senate procedure works, confirmation by voice vote, it's not particularly unique, but it is really cool, especially in these times, because it means that they didn't take an exact count. They just said, all in favor, say I, and the I say I very loudly. And in this case, all of them, said I, or at least everybody said I, and nobody said no. Right. There was no dissent towards this. Um, which is to be expected because I don't think there's anybody more qualified than Chuck at the moment to leave right. these <laughs> the the National Park Service. It should have been a unanimous um, right. affirmation or confirmation. So we are very happy that it was. So congratulations Chuck. We look forward to your undoubtedly storied tenure at the national parks service. Um, And to everybody, we do wish you a happy Thanksgiving. Although do remember where it actually comes from. And until next week for our last episode, our last uh, episode for native American and, uh, oh, hold on. I keep getting different acronyms for Native American History Month. Mm-hmm. I see that one, but I think it's Native and Indigenous American History Month is the one I see more often, which seems repetitive get, or redundant. I get Native
0: American um, and Alaska Native History Month a lot.
1: I've seen that one too. So Native American and Alaska Native History Month, because that one seems a, a little more inclusive. It does. Intentionally so. Um Our last episode in that uh, theme will be next Monday. Uh, Very much looking forward to it. And until you hear our sweet, sweet ears in your ear holes, (laughs) I'm leaving it. Take care of each other.